and nobody else is. If you're a Christian, I hope that that's a reality for you. You understand our God is God and all other so-called gods are pretenders. They're pretenders. Our God is unsearchably great. In the Psalms, there's just... It's not like it's not true throughout the Bible, but in the Psalms, there's just this, this undiluted awe, right? There's just awe in the Psalms. And you can't read Psalm 145 and not be moved. If you're not moved, if you're not somewhat staggered at how stunningly awesome God is, you're not hearing it. And you're not understanding it. Not only is He great like this, this great God is the one that bled out for you. This great God is the one who has given Himself away for you. This great God is the one who loves you with an everlasting love. How can you not be staggered? I mean for you to be staggered when you come in here. Not because the music's great or the preaching's great, but because God is great. And we open the Word of God and we look at God. We're not looking at the preacher. We're looking at God. Let me define the word awe for you. Because I'm, I'm, I'm building the sermon around this word. Awe. It's a feeling of reverential respect. We get that. Mixed with fear and wonder. Here are some synonyms. Veneration, respect. Here's some that we don't think about often. Dread, terror, and fear. Every man that got a good glimpse of the glorified God in any sense of the, any sense of the word, a, a vision of God, every one of them hit their face as fast as they possibly could. He is other. And of course, there is in our human nature a dread of the other. He's other. He's eternal. He's unlike us in the most profound ways. In all, there is amazement. There is astonishment. Dave, Paul David Tripp, he's a, actually, it's David Paul Tripp. He's an American pastor, theologian, and author. He's written a book called All. It makes me mad because I want to write my next book about all, and he got my title. So I'll have to figure out what to do with that. But here's what he writes. Whether you know it or not, you are in a lifelong pursuit of all. For those of you who have trouble with my southern accent, A-W-E, all. Okay? This is what I'm saying. There is an awe longing in your heart. And misplaced awe will keep you perpetually dissatisfied. Now, if you're not getting Psalm 145, I, you don't even have to tell me. I know you've got huge problems in your life. If you don't get Psalm 145, I know you've got huge anxieties and huge doubts and huge concerns that you have trouble dealing with. But if you get one, Psalm 145... You can give it up to an awesome God. Right? We can just 
as true believers, we give it up. We give up all the junk to God. We don't have to, you know, fret over it endlessly. Because He is the God of unsearchable greatness, we can just give it to Him. And let Him, you know, do His will, as I was saying earlier, do His will in it. Tripp goes on to say, every problem you have ultimately is an awe problem. I think he's right. If you're really a Christian, if you really know Him, if you really love Him, you bring God into the calculus, right? No, it doesn't matter what the problem is. You bring God into the calculus and the arithmetic changes, <laughs> right? You and God are always a majority. <laughs> right? Right? You and God are always a majority. Trip writes, if you lack a God awe in your life, he's talking about the biblical God, always the biblical God, not just any you know cartoon God, the biblical one. If you lack this, it will cause you to feel unable, alone, unprepared, afraid, timid, anxious, and defeated. Why did David step in front of Goliath? He had a resolved all problem. He had resolved the all problem. A giant, no problem. A bear, no problem. A lion, no problem. Why does Abraham fearlessly obey God? Why does Rahab obey God? Why does Gideon obey God? They have a resolved awe problem. They know why they're here. They're here to be in awe of God and live that out. Christianity, it's not complicated. <laughs> right? My God is God and He's awesome. And I'm going to live that in front of my family. And I'm going to live that in front of my colleagues. I'm going to live that in front of my neighborhood. I'm going to incarnate Psalm 145. My God is unsearchably great. My God is unsearchably great. Tripp says, if you're not living in awe of God, you are left with no higher agenda than to live for yourself. Okay, we've got a pretty good group here tonight. It's not going to be hard for me to say some of you are living for yourself. I, I, I would hazard a guess there's more than one of you living for yourself. You have no higher agenda than yourself. That's your highest agenda. I get up in the morning, I love my reflection in the mirror, and the universe is about me. That's an awe problem. <laughs> okay? That's an awe problem. You're not looking at the God of Psalm 145. You're not looking at Him. You say, Jim, I have trouble in the morning. Okay, get up. Open the Bible. Read Psalm 145. And say, Lord God, make this real to me. I want you to be real to me. He'll do it, beloved. He'll do it. I love what Tripp says, and I'll move on. He says, victimhood, entitlement, and complaining is anti-praise. Man, what an important word for, you know, my culture back home. 
I don't know where you come from. He says it's anti-praise. Are you a complainer? Trip is right. Your complaining is allness verbalized. I'm, I'm convicted about this, man. The Lord's hammering me about this. I can be the most impatient person in the world. I can be. Given the right circumstances, I can continually disappoint myself. But, but when I realize that, that God is in control, and I can just step back and breathe deep, and trust in His providence. It's just about all, beloved. Do you believe He's sovereign or not? Do you believe He's sovereign in your hard circumstance or not? Do you believe it or not? Whether or not, whether we know it or not, the awe of every human being, that desire to be amazed, to be blown away, to be moved, to be satisfied, is actually a universal craving to see God. Tripp is right about this. One more trip quote and I'll let it go. If all of God is not the center of your worldview, you are looking at nothing rightly. If God is not the middle of your worldview, an awesome God, the biblical God, not the cartoon Jesus, the biblical Jesus, you won't look at anything else right. There won't be one thing in your life you're looking at right if you're not looking at Him right. So in Psalm 145, let me just... 26 attributes or characteristics of God. How can you not worship, right? Let me just give them to you real quick. He's a king. He's unsearchably great. He performs mighty acts. He's glorious in splendor. He's majestic. He does wonderful works. He's powerful. He performs awesome acts. He's great. He's abundantly good. He's righteous. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's full of loving kindness. He's glorious, everlasting... Uh, he has dominion. He sustains. He satisfy, satisfies. He, he's kind. He's giving. He's near. He fulfills His own. He hears and He keeps His people. <laughs> you got to... What? You, you're not in awe of this God? What am I? Speaking a foreign language up here? And I want you to notice as we go through the psalm, I want you to see how God's people respond. His, his people, the people who know Him, how they respond. Just a few, just a, uh, real quick, a few summary words here. God's people extol Him, they bless Him, they praise Him, they utter, speak, shout joyfully, give thanks, and look to Him. This is what God's people do. So, His greatness is un searchable the literal Hebrew reads and of his greatness there is no searching out Eugene Peterson's paraphrase he says it well there are no boundaries to his greatness so I'm just going to make 16 statements here okay so just lock in and try to hear what I'm saying 16 statements about Yahweh we are in awe of the eternal triune God who dwelt in solitary glory 
throughout an eternity past. We are in awe of an unapproachably holy God before whom the hosts of heaven ecstatically worship. We are in awe of an omnipotent Creator God who simply speaks two trillion galaxies into existence. We are in awe of the personal God who took dirt and breathed life into it to create a man. We are in awe of the merciful God who called to a rebellious Adam in the garden. We are in awe of a righteous God who drowned the whole world because of mankind's wickedness. We are in awe of a gracious God who called out to Abraham through whom He would send Messiah. We are in awe of a wrathful God who rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. We are in awe of a warrior God who crushed Egypt and delivered His covenant people. We are in awe of an awesome God who met with Moses on that quaking and fiery mountain known as Sinai. We are in awe of the fearsome God who caused the earth to swallow up the rebels in the Exodus. We are in awe of the faithful God who gave the promised land to His people. We are in awe of the incarnate God laying in a manger in Bethlehem. We are in awe of the scourged and crucified God who shed His blood for the sins of His people. We are in awe of the risen God who came out of the grave. And we are in awe of the ascended sovereign God who reigns over every molecule in heaven and earth. Our God is a God of unsearchable greatness. And if you don't find great delight in that on a regular basis, you simply can't walk with Jesus Christ. Now, you can be a church member, but you can't walk with Christ if you are not in awe, if you are not stunned and staggered and overwhelmed at this great God who came to redeem you. And if you think deeply about it for more than, oh, I don't know, 60 seconds, I'm talking deeply. (laughs) You'll worship. If you believe it, if you believe it, if it's just religion, you know, there are millions of people who call themselves Christians. It's just religion. They don't know Him. They don't love Him. They have no idea what awe means. And it does not inform their life. And it does not roll off their tongue as they speak about Him. It's not in their prayer. It's not what they do. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25, To whom will you liken me that I should be His equal? God says, there is no one like me. Now, if you believe it, it'll start to change your life. Right? Again, if it's just religion, you know, if it's just church stuff, that's not, church is not going to change your life. God will change your life. God will change your life. A genuine glimpse of Jesus Christ, high and lifted up, 
before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ will radically change your life. If you've met Him, you understand. He's the God of Psalm 145. You guys know Romans 11.22. God says, Behold. Behold what? Anybody remember? This is a pretty foundational verse. It would be hard for anybody to know it. I'd be shocked if anybody could... What? That's good, brother. But it's wrong. <laughs> but I, I, I commend what, what, what your, I commend your bravery. Sorry, Romans. Uh, Romans 11, 22. Behold the kindness and severity of God. God is calling His people to behold His kindness and His severity. He says it like, let me get this right, 1,200 times. He says, behold. The, the, the word behold appears 1,200 times in the New American Standard, which is the most literal English translation. 1,200 times. God says, look at me. There's only one thing that will change your life, and it's a genuine glimpse of God. <laughs> he says, behold. Behold me. Behold me. He says it all the way through the Bible, beloved. Behold my unsearchable greatness. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. God says, Behold my kindness and my severity. So, Psalm 145 is my go-to psalm. Some of you, I, I think I said it last week in the sermon, some of us have not been in awe for a long time. If you have not been in awe before Yahweh, I lovingly say to you, you need to go home and do some work with God. You have to find your way to awe. You were made for awe, and God means to fill you up with awe. But there's only one being in the cosmos that can do that, and His name is Jesus Christ. Psalm 145 is believed to be David's last. It's shortly before his death. It's the only psalm which carries the title praise, which is the fruit of all. Right? You know, a lot of people sing praises, but it doesn't mean anything, man. It's just brain dead. It's music. The believer doesn't sing like that. And David is a believer. He spent a lifetime beholding the kindness and severity of God and praise rolls off his lips and out of his pen and through his life. So, Psalm 145. I hope you have your Bibles or your electronic device open. I'm not going to read through the whole psalm. You've heard it read, but I've got to read the first three verses, right? David says, I will extol you, exalt you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised and His greatness is unsearchable. If I ever have to just... If someone says, Jim, read a praise to God, I go to Psalm 145. It's just... Yeah. David says, I will extol you. 
God is above all with David. I'm going to ask you, is that that true with you? Is God first with you? Well, no, Jim, my family's first. Uh, Everyone tells me my family should be first. Wrong. You don't know how to love your family till you love God first. You can't even begin to love your family right till you love God first. It's what Jesus said. These are the red words. (laughs) If you love God first, then you kind of know how to love your spouse. You kind of know how to love your kids and your brothers and your sisters and your cousins and your aunts and your uncles. So David, there's no no competition in David's life. God has no competition in David's life. God is the Alpha and the Omega of David's affections. He has no divided allegiances. He loves Yahweh and he loves Him supremely. Yes, of course, you know the story. David fell in a calamitous way. David got up for some extended period of time and he never thought about the words that he would write in the future I know a God of unsearchable greatness. He got up for some... Every morning he would get up for some extended period of time and he was not giving himself over to worship. And he found awe in a beautiful woman. A woman that wasn't his. And he found awe in sexual conquest. You know, there's a whole lot of Cheap, worldly imitations for all. Some of you think your career is going to be all. You think when you finally find that right person and marry them, it's going to be all. And having kids is going to be all. And some of you will make your first million and you think it's just going to be, you know, that's going to be all. Can I tell you as an old man, none of that is all. Not in the sense I'm talking about it. (laughs) Okay? David fell. But what did David do? What did David do? David fell. What did David do? You know what he did. What did he do? He got back up. He repented and he finished with God. David sinned in a grievous way. Some of you have sinned in a grievous way. But what will you do? Will you get up and finish with God? This is what believers do. They get up and they finish with God. This is what David did, right? This is one reason he's worshiping like he is. He knows what he deserves. You know what, if you're biblically literate, you know what you deserve. The same thing I deserve. I should have been in hell yesterday. But this unfathomably great God has shown grace and mercy to me. So some of you in this room, you need to repent And you need to finish well. You need to decide you're going to finish well. That won't happen unless you understand Psalm 145. Unless Psalm 145 is true for you and that it changes how you live. David says, I I bless your name. Wait a minute. I I thought God blessed us. What is he saying? He says, I salute, I praise, I adore, I bow down before you, great God. He not only is doing this in time, he says, did you notice? I'll do it forever. Did you notice? He says, I'll do it forever. This is what I was made to do. This is when a human being understands what he was, he or she was made to do. I was made to glorify God now and forever. 
Everything else is subordinate, beloved. Every single thing else is subordinate to glorifying God and making much of Him forever. And when you actually do it, you understand that's what you were made for. You feel it. You know, your mind is full of the glory of God and your heart is, and soul is full of the glory of God. Did you notice here, David uses God's name twice. L-O-R-D capitalized, which always means Yahweh. So there's like a hundred sermons here that I don't have time. But God does all that He does for the greatness of His name. Made me think of Psalm 99, 1-3. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He's enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. The Lord is great in Zion and He is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise His great and awesome name. Psalm 150, 1-3. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty expanse. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Verses 4 through 7. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works I will meditate. And men shall speak of the... Here it is. Here's your job. I will speak of the power of your awesome acts. I will tell of your greatness. You will eagerly utter the memory of of His abundant goodness and you will shout joyfully of God's righteousness. This is what God's people do. This is why God leaves His people on the earth. Not for health, wealth, and prosperity. He might give some of you that. That's not His principal purpose. You know, uh, Christians going through a trial and through difficulty, they're the most powerful evangelists because they stand in the trial and they love God. And everybody around them watches them love God. (laughs) They, They just watch them love God. You know, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. If people in your orbit understand you love God on the day of big blessing and on the day of big trial, it doesn't really matter to me. I love God. I know God. I trust God. He's a God of unsearchable greatness. So true believers, praise, declare, speak, tell, utter, shout. Is that true of you? Of the mighty and awesome works of God. Did you notice in verse 5, David says, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will what? What does it say? Can you tell me? What does it say? I will what? Meditate. If you're not meditating on the Word of God, you can't be a Christian. You can't walk with God. Jesus, He's going to go to places you will not have the guts to go to unless you're filled up with awe. Like David. <laughs> you know, you think David trusted in his little slingshot and his three stones or whatever it was, five, I forget, who knows? Some of you scholars. Three or five stones, I don't remember. 
Was he trusting in that? <laughs> or was he trusting in the God of Psalm 145? Of course, he was trusting in the God of Psalm 145. I will meditate, he says. So I'll just stop and ask you, are you meditating on the Word of God? Are you meditating on it? You know, a lot of people take a lot of pride in, well, I read through the Bible every year, and I think that's great, man. Read through the Bible every year, it's great. But if you're not stopping and thinking deeply about what is being said, you're cutting yourself off from a huge blessing. Personally, I would rather read a very small passage and take one or two or three or four words and just go deep as I can. That helps me a lot. So, what happens when you behold a God of unsearchable greatness? Everything happens. <laughs> Good, bad, hard, sad, lean, rich, poor. Whatever happens, I worship the God of Psalm 145. In verse 6, there's a passing reference to the severity of God, His fearful acts. A reference to God's holiness and righteousness and His promise to judge His enemies. God will judge. You know, I'm, again, we're not talking about the cartoon Jesus in here. We're talking about the biblical God who will judge His enemies. You know, hell is not a theological scare tactic. That's not what it is. No one is ever genuinely saved just because they're scared of hell. People are saved because they see God. They see His beauty. So hell is not a theological scare tactic. It's a commentary on the unfathomable greatness, holiness, righteousness, and wrath of God. I know that many in the modern church struggle with eternal conscious punishment. I get it. It's a big doctrine. If you're looking in the mirror, or if you're looking at men, you go, now, the Bible can't be teaching that. That doesn't sound just. If you're looking at the God of Psalm 145, as one theologian said, you would deduce that it was necessary. This is how great He is. Hell is a commentary on the greatness of God. So those of you who dismiss it out of hand because you don't like the sound of it and it doesn't sound just and it doesn't sound fair and it argues against the love of God, well, let me tell you, all that God does, all that God is, does all that God does. Okay? He's, he's multifaceted. You can't talk about the love of God in isolation from the wrath of God. He's a whole. You don't get to, you don't get to divide Him in that way. Did you notice in verses 8 and 10, David speaks of God's unsearchable grace and mercy and goodness and love. You know, atheists and agnostics, if you watch much YouTube, and, um, which I, I love to watch, uh, I love to watch the skeptics, you know, and the mockers and the scoffers. And God is anything but good, right, to them. <laughs> they look at how messed up the world is, but 
Why is the world messed up? Well, we messed it up. It, I don't know how your Bible reads. My Bible reads, God put us in paradise. We wanted more, and we got it. So don't let... The evil in the world doesn't impugn God. The evil in the world impugns you and me. God is good. I love Matthew 6, 44-45. In order that you may be uh, sons of your Father who is in heaven, for He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, and He sends rain on the just and the unjust. <coughs> the astonishing thing is not that God's wrath breaks out. The astonishing thing is that He has graciously died for a people. This is the astonishing truth of the Bible. So, I, I, again, I'm just, you know, theologians or seminary students, we, we study the numbers, we know the statistics. In a group this size, some of you have yet to repent, truly repent. You still think it's unimportant, it's unnecessary. God is a God of love. Someone told me this when I was young. I heard it on the radio. I watched it on the internet. It must be true. God will never judge me because He's a God of love. Well, you've only heard half the story, beloved. He's an awesome God of fearful acts. He is dreadfully provoked against the sin of mankind. This is the truth of the Bible. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase here of Psalm 145.10 Peterson writes, Creation and creatures applaud you, God. We talked a lot about this last week. I won't go into great detail. But the creation worships God. The creation worships God. You can hear it. You can feel it. When you're out in nature. Verses 11-13 through 13, We get to be God's witnesses. We speak of the glory of the kingdom. We, we talk of His power. We make it known to the sons of men that You're a God of mighty acts. The glory of the majesty of Your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. Again, what do the people of God do? We make known the God of Psalm 145. We let the world know, yes, there is awe. We know You're looking for it. The whole world is looking for it. It's why men you know, wage war. It's why men look at pornography. It's why you know, people give themselves over to all kinds of lusts. They're looking for something to fill it up. And only God can fill it up. That's what David is clearly saying to us. So there are these two tragedies in the world. God is profaned and men are perishing. We understand these two calamities. So we speak His glory. We talk about His sovereign power. And we make known His mighty acts. Beloved, it's your privilege to make disciples in the world. It's what Jesus said His people 
would do. So, are you beholding the God of unsearchable glory? Verse 11. Uh, of power, verse 11. Of might, verse 12. Of majesty, verse 12. Of everlasting dominion, verse 13. In the Word of God. If you're not, you will become your highest priority. If you're not looking at God, you by default become your highest priority. Some of you already know, you are your highest priority. I invite you to repent. You're wasting your life if you are your highest priority. God means to give Himself to you. But you know what? You've got to want Him. You've got to pursue Him. You know, I'm, I'm an old man. And I've been walking with Jesus since I was 28. I'm 63. Somebody do the math. Seems like 35 years. Is that right? No. Yeah, that's right. One of you smart guys, engineers, engineer guys, whatever. If I did not know God, and I've shared this with you before, I would be so bored. I would be hopelessly bored. Some of you are already bored. You're not near as old as I am. You know why you're bored? It's an all problem. You're not looking at your God. You're not looking at your God. So we see as David closes the psalm, 14 to 21. He's talking about a distinction between the believer and the unbeliever. The believer is blessed of God. The unbeliever will be judged. Behold the kindness and severity of God. Kindness to all who call upon Him. Severity to those who ignore Him. I love verse 17 and 18. The Lord is kind and is near to all who what? To all who what? Occasionally go to church if it's not too inconvenient. To all who call upon Him. You know, some people think, well, Jim, you're always throwing off on coming to church. No, you, of course you should come to church. If you, if you believe in Christ, if you love Christ, you'll come to church. You'll meet with His people. You'll be under His Word. It's what Christians do. I'm just saying, if that's the pinnacle of your Christianity, you don't know anything about Christianity yet. Christianity is all. It's all. It's about the God of Psalm 145. It's about knowing it and owning it and living it. This is what Christianity is, beloved. This is what it is. Verse 19, God will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. Right? Those who are in awe of Him. He'll fill your soul forever. You know, for a billion eternities, He'll fill you up. But you must learn God correctly, as Charles Spurgeon says. So, let me close. I'll just ask you, are you filled with wonder? <laughs> are you filled with wonder? Are you stunned? Are you staggered? Are you in awe of not only who He is, but what He did, and what He purchased, and what He's promised? Are you in awe? You're supposed to be, beloved. Have you set Him above all others and all else in the world? Are you His witness in the world? 
Is your life a testimony of praise to your Creator, Redeemer God? Are you seeking His power and His, His awesome acts? Are you speaking of it? Are you telling of His greatness and abundant goodness? Are you communicating the glorious majesty of His everlasting kingdom? Are you making known the kindness and severity of God? Are you telling your family? Are you telling your colleagues? Are you telling your neighbors? David says, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Verse 21. The last psalm he wrote, the last verse he wrote, I will what? I will speak the praise of the Lord. So, my application to you, and there are many in this message, will you go out there and speak the praise of the Lord? <laughs> it's the most important thing you ever do in this life. Some of you, it's like Tripp said, if you're not in awe, everything you do is wrong. Every priority you make is wrong. You're looking at everything improperly. He's right. The first job you have is to make sure you're cultivating awe in your life. It's just true, beloved. If awe of God is not the center of your world view, you will look at nothing properly. So I leave you with this. The Psalm of David. A praise. An old man. He says, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Let's pray together. We hear You, Father. Forgive us. We can be so dull. We can be so distracted. We love shiny things in the world. But it doesn't take very long to learn shiny things in the world never begin to fill up the hole in our souls and in our hearts. So Lord God, forgive us of our sin. Forgive us of making idols in the world. Forgive us for not pursuing You with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Forgive us for not learning to love You in like manner. Father, teach us the heartbeat of David. Lord, teach me the heartbeat of David. I want to know and love You like this. I want to incarnate Your beauty like this. Help us, Father, we pray. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You how we can open it. and There You are in all Your glory. Unsearchable, unfathomable, inscrutable glory. Infinite, eternal, unending glory. Limitless glory. Lord, forgive us if we are not in awe. For we have not understood. We love You. We praise You. What a great and awesome God. We love You. Change us, Father. Change our hearts. Teach us to be Your people, we pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.